You are now listening to Testimonies with Terry. Hey, what's up, everyone, and welcome to Testimonies with Terry. I'm your host, Terry Skaggs, and make sure to give the Testimonies with Terry Facebook page a like and follow me on Instagram at TWTerryPod. So on this week's episode, you're going to hear the testimony of a man who should be spending his life in prison, but by the absolute grace of God is living free and delivered. You'll hear about the chaotic family life and abuse he suffered during his childhood, which led him to just wanting to be accepted in life. Chasing that acceptance led him into addiction problems and even involvement with the Mexican cartel, which he goes into deep detail about. However, a radical encounter with the Lord led to his deliverance from drugs, and now he's getting equipped to share his unique story with inmates in doing prison ministry. From a drug-addicted professional wrestler to a sober soul winner, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jason Justice's testimony. All right, guys. Well, I am here with Jason Justice. Jason, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I know you through Wrestling for the Faith and uh, Chad Lale. I got to hear uh, you on their podcast and you gave uh, kind of an abridged version of your testimony. And I think that was either earlier this year or last year. And I was just like, man, like someday I need to have you on my show. And we got to serve together at uh, the Remnant Youth Retreat this past summer, got to meet in person. And man, just hearing you speak to the youth and sharing your story, again, just super inspiring. And uh, we talked more about getting you on the show and here we are. So man, I'm excited to do this thing. Me too, man. I, you know, we were talking about that youth thing. I, that youth thing floored me. It was just, I've never, that, that was really my first time stepping into a youth thing. Same. You know, I had spoken to several adults or whatever, but I was nervous going up there. But man, I, I walked away probably blessed more than anybody else. <laughs> it was, <laughs> yeah, it, it was man, the Holy Spirit just moved. And uh, if you guys want to hear more about the Remnant Youth Retreat, go to Wrestling for the Faith's podcast. Jason uh, and I, along with Chad and Casey, Jana, Coach, and Denna, we all got together to kind of just recap the weekend. What a what a powerful weekend, man. And uh, man, I'm kind of counting down the days till next year to do it again. Excited, man. I'm really excited. It was, uh, again, I mean, I, I could go on for days about that thing, man. It was, it was neat. Yeah. Next had to baptize my son there so that was really that was really awesome too so powerful moment man powerful moment well dude you uh you're a powerful man jesus has done so much in your life and uh i think we should just get into this so jason we always started at the beginning where did you grow up i i grew i was born and raised in spartanburg south carolina and um at it's, it's funny because i lost my mother around nine years old right so Spartanburg, I don't have a lot of memory of Spartanburg, but that's where I was born and raised up till I was about nine years old until my mother passed away. And then I was moved to Greenville, South Carolina, in with my actual real father. Okay. So your parents were split from 
from the beginning, it sounds like. Uh, my mom and dad got divorced, like, from, when I, from one of the stories I, were, I was told. They got divorced when I was around two years old. And apparently my father and my mother, it was pretty nasty divorce. And my mother had ended, ended up getting remarried. And her, my stepdad at that time adopted me. So my name was Jason Brown for several years. Ju- Justice is actually my mother's maiden name. And I was Jason Brown for so many years, and she would let my dad come and visit me on weekends. And but it, she referred to him as my uncle. He was my uncle Jerry, you know. And uh, but it was weird because every he would come down on weekends, we we'd go stay in a hotel, and uh, just you know just have a we we'll go to the mall, we we'll go to the movies, and just you know share time together, you know and. I always thought it was odd for an uncle to be doing that with with a nephew. You know, it just it wasn't. I don't know, it wasn't normal, I guess. But um, so after my mother passed away, my stepdad had gotten remarried, and um, he married a psycho, bro. I mean, th- this lady was really just e- pure evil, and um, I went through a lot of abuse with her. I mean. She hated me. She was just trying to, she knew I was the the stepchild, but I didn't even know I was a stepchild at that moment, you know? Yeah. And I had, I had a sister too. So <clears throat> they treated me like crap and treated my sister like an angel. So because she hated me and she was really by bi- like a bot, bi- from what I understand, she was bipolar. And so she would go from like smiling to zero. And all of a sudden, she's breaking glasses. She's throwing things. You know, I mean, dude, she, she used to send me to bed without without dinner. I mean, you know, but, but by the time I ended up, see, I, I didn't even know my dad was my dad. So I, when I went through this, she would steal stuff from my stepfather, plant it in my closet, and blame me for it. And as I remember as a child thinking how much I hated her, because I thought, I mean, I really thought I was going to die because I've never been, I had never been treated like that in my life, you know? And because my mother treated me with, with love and care. And when she was living, my stepdad did as well. It's like the whole thing changed dimensions, right? Yeah. So I went through, I'm not sure if you want me to keep going on the story, but I mean. Yeah. Why don't we pause there for a second? I want to back up. How, how did your mom die, Jason? My mother, she, she had congestive heart failure. And she had had, I want to say, three or four heart attacks. And the last one, it just, it got the best of her, you know? Man. The irony of that is, is years later, I had heard rumors. That I, I can't, there's no truth to the, to the fact that I can prove that my stepdad, my, my mom had a, so much, took so much medication, she kept it in a shoebox. I mean, I mean, it was just that much. And uh, from what I was told that my stepdad would start feeding her medicine. And I was told that, you know, he, he played a part in her death. But again, that's neither here nor there because it was never proven. But, you know, either way, she's gone. Yeah, man. What was that like for you, nine years old, losing your mom? Oh, that was the beginning of my hell. I mean, literally that I, I've, you know, years later now that I've, I've went, you know, I've went through rehabs and a lot of self you know, checking myself. And a lot of times when you, when you're a drug addict, 
and you got these issues, you got to get to the root of the issue. I mean, you're, you're a therapist, you know that yep. you, you got, got to get to the root of the issue. And that was the beginning of the root of my issue was when my mother passed at nine years old. That's when I started getting kicked around. And I was a mama's boy, like legit. I mean, I, I'm, I'm man enough and, and okay with it. I mean, my mother, she spoiled me. She loved me. I mean, I remember Saturday morning cartoons, you know, we eating cereal, sitting on the couch, just, I talk too much about it. I'll probably get worked up, but, uh, because that that's one of those memories that as much as I, I want to keep it, I, I suppress it a lot. You know, it's, it's the only, it's like a survival. I don't know. Maybe I just, I like to talk about it. I don't know. But as a nine year old boy, it was tough, man. It was, I feel like I lost the world. Yeah. You know, my mother was my best friend. She was amazing woman, man. And she's the reason that I was even ever put in church. You know, I, I remember hearing that song by Elevation Worship, that talking to Jesus. Yep. Dude, that song, it's almost like it took it from my childhood, you know, because I remember Wednesday nights legitimately having arguments about when I was going to wear to church with my mom, you know, and she wanted to dress me up with polo shirts and, you know, all this little clothes that I didn't want to wear, you know. And I was just, I, always, I felt like that was my song from my mom when it came out, you know. But because of her, I, I know I know God now, you know. So it all starts with a seed, man. Yeah. No, that's and, for sure. And so with with mom passing, again, your your dad was in your life, but you thought he was your uncle this whole time. And so I'm wondering throughout your childhood, did you question, did you ask, did you wonder, hey, where is my dad? Well, I was always told my, that my stepfather was my dad for years. And but I noticed from what I understand at the end of towards the end of my mother's death, I mean life. I, I can remember, and it's so weird because I'm 46 years old now, but I can still remember, and I can see in my mind, my mother and, and my uncle was behind closed doors having a conversation with me, and they kissed on the mouth. And, 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 it, was just, and it was just weird for me, you know, because, you know, when you say, when you say it out loud, it kind of makes my mom look like a tramp. <laughs> but, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it wasn't that. It was, you know... Again, man, a lot of the stuff that I know is all, you know, I think I was a nine-year-old kid, so it's just hearsay or or what, you know, somebody's told me, you know. But from my understanding was my mother and my uncle, which was my daddy, were talking about getting back together. And she her and my stepfather were having a lot of issues and they were going to lead to a divorce. Again, don't know how much, you know, truth behind that. Again, I was a nine-year-old kid, but I do remember that day because I thought then this is strange, you know, but yeah. it wasn't until later to, cause it wasn't until later until I realized who my dad was. Like I was probably close to 10 years old, you know, and that, you know, when I get into the story, you, you, you'll be able to understand and put all the pieces together because it's, uh, it's definitely, it could make a movie. <laughs> definitely say that yeah for sure and so um i don't know what would make more sense than jason if you want to go into when you found out um your dad was your dad or if you want to kind of go back into stepmom coming into your life chronologically what what's what was kind of first well what was first was stepmom coming in my life and 
And honestly, I guess, you know, you know how the spirit talks to you, man. When I just said that, I look back now and as much as it was a hell for my life, her coming in my life, I look now and God just showed me just a second. Jason, that was a blessing. You know, that was a blessing. I mean, yes, you went through some hell. But had that never happened, I wouldn't know who my real father is now. Yeah. All that pushed. You know, I'm a firm believer. Everything that happens starts here. And in some way, shape, or form, it's pushed. And it, you know, it's just like if you go to the bottom of a cup and you got sand in it and you push it up, it's going to overflow, right? So I believe it pushed me into where I am now with my father. But long story short, man, she, she came in my life and she was very abusive. I mean, she would make me strip naked and lay across the bed. She would beat me with hickories. I'd have blood running down my legs. And, you know, she would come up in my room in the middle of the night. I remember one night she came in. It was, I was dead in a dead sleep. Light flips on. She snatches the cover off of me. Starts just cussing me out. A nine-year-old boy, you know, talking about my mother was nothing but a whore. You know, it, it was this. It, she was that. She was this. That was the first time in my life I struck a woman at nine years old. When she did that, I, I slapped her. And next thing I know, my stepdad's up running in the room. I'm getting threw around, jacked up against walls threw across the room, you know, and just, it was almost like I was getting beat up by two adults at nine years old. And so I went to school the next day. It was actually after that, I went to school the next day. And that's when they come, got me out of school, literally walked me out with my ear, took me home, walked me in my bedroom and pulled down my, my stepdad's watch. It was a gold watch. Now my stepmother stood on a stool in the closet, in the closet, and reached back to get it. I was a short nine-year-old kid. I couldn't even have put it there, you know. But then I was told that I wasn't welcome there no more. That I was going, to, you know, they were kicking me out at nine years old. And uh, I went to school the next day. I came home. My, there was a suitcase with my name on it sitting in the carport. And I, I remember sitting there just crying. I, I had no idea what was happening, you know. And my stepdad come out of the house, put the suitcase in the in the back back seat of the car. And I, you know, I remember crying, asking, "Where are we going? Where are we going?" You know. And he, I remember, I, I remember it was Asheville Highway in Spartanburg. I remember driving down the road, and and turning into my cousin and my aunt. They all lived lived here. But man, they were so poor. Like, I mean, when I, you got a version of, and, and it's not me derogatory in my family, but you got nasty people and the ones that have cockroaches and all this stuff. That's that kind of life, which I hadn't lived in that time, type of life before this time. But my stepfather pulls up. He says, you're going to be staying with your aunt Susie now. And I just started crying and he said, get out. He didn't walk me to the door. I remember standing in that yard holding a suitcase, bawling my eyes out as he pulled, drove off. And I, you know, I look back now and I think, man, I could, my son's nine years old right now. You met him. Yeah. That's, that was the age I was at. And I couldn't imagine doing that to my kid. I mean, blood or not, you know, I, I couldn't imagine doing it to, to your kid or anybody's kid. Yeah. You know, 
just set somebody out and it's just like, bye. <laughs> you know, so everything I knew from two years old to nine years old, it just got shut up in a minute. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's just, just lost my mom and, you know, and now I've lost my, now I feel like I've lost my dad, you know, and uh, so I stayed with my, my aunt Susie and her kids and it was just really bad. I mean, they, they couldn't afford to take care of me. They, they barely afforded themselves. So then my grandmother reached out. And at this time, though, my grandmother was an alcoholic and a pillhead. So, but I don't want to dog her because she tried. You know, I mean, she, it was more than what, I mean, my stepdad dropped me off. Whether she's a drunk or not, she tried. So anyway, I went from, I went with my grandmother she got us an apartment and I remember in this apartment, it was the first time I kind of felt at home since I had left, but my grandmother was drunk all the time and passed out. Literally. I mean, I, I can still close my eyes and see her laying on the side of the couch now, you know, and I would, I would be hungry and there was a store right down below the apartment. I would go in the store and I'd walk through and I would steal stuff, steal candies and stuff like that. And, the, and like next door to that store, you know how somebody's moving a house and they put it on blocks. There was a house that somebody had moved to this, this lot sitting on blocks. And I would climb underneath this house and sit there and eat what I stole. And uh, there was one day I went through there and I climbed under there and I got, I heard this noise and I was really startled. And I turned around and it was the guy that worked at the store. I, I, I can still see him to this day. He was a black guy. He, he said, my name's Fred. And he said, I just want you to know you don't have to steal anything no more. And he gave me a food, a plate of food. And uh, he said, if you're hungry, he said, just let me know. And. Uh, wow. I look back now being where I am. Nothing. Yeah. That was Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Man. I never that memory would hurt. But yeah, it was tough, you know. But I remember that. I mean, I, I, like I said, his name's Fred. I, that's all I know. I still I remember it to this day, though, because. His act of kindness, his love. Yeah, they didn't know me. I was just this little white neighborhood kid. You know, I, I lived in the projects back back then. You know, and I was probably one of the few only white kids around there, and uh, he had no idea who I was, man. And he could have had me sent off. He could have had me locked up. Could have had you know pressed charges. But he stopped what he was doing and went and bought me food. <laughs> And brought it to me. Wow, because he, man. He knew what I had been doing, you know? And, uh, yeah. So, after a while, when uh, my uncle, my, uh, my my mother's brother, would, he'd come by to visit once in a while. And he had noticed that my grandma was always out of it. So, he tried to help me. And I moved in with him and his wife and my my aunt 
and my cousin, which is a lot older than I was. He's the one, my cousin's the one who ended up teaching me how to play football, which is really neat. Yeah. <laughs> but so when I moved in there, I worked on his farm, you know, shoveling crap and bailing hay and just, you know, nine, 10 year old boy is out here working my tail off. But I, I'm glad that happened to me because it, it, it ingrained something in me. But his wife started getting jealous because he would slip me $20 here and there, you know, just for my, my hard work or whatever. And I, she just couldn't handle me being there. And she told him it's either him or me. Uh, guess who got, I guess who got the boot again. <laughs> oh man. So I went from there to my other uncle's house who had like three different kids who were brats. I mean, bro, I just, they're my cousins and I love them, but they were something special. And we would always bump heads and they would always make fun of my mama being dead and this kind of thing. And so it would end up in fist fights and this, that. And of course, now it's time for Jason to go again. But I remember before I left, we had took a beach trip. And I remember riding down the road in an old Falcon. It was a man, it was a piece. <laughs> But I remember sitting in the back, and my uncle was driving, and he, he used to take Xanax all the time. And I remember watching him nod as he was driving, and I was terrified. I was like, oh, my God, you know, he, I, he's going to go to sleep. I'm going to get killed, <laughs> you know. And I remember we, we ended up going to a KOA campground at the beach, and I, I remember going to the shower house, and I would just turn the shower on, literally, and I would just sit in the shower and I'd sit there and cry, you know, and I, and I was just thinking of, I got to figure out, I, I mean, I'm a kid. I, I don't even know how to be an adult, you know? And, and it's like, I felt hopeless. Cause like, I didn't know where I, where I was going, what I was going to do, you know? And for some reason I decided I wanted to write my uncle Jerry a letter. And so I wrote him a letter and I, and I sent it to him. I didn't tell nobody about it. I did know how to mail letters. And when I sent him that letter, I explained to him, you know, what was going on and asked him if he, can you help me this, that. And at that time, my dad was, he was driving a truck over the road. He was out, you know, out of state, out of town all the time. And uh, when he found out what was happening, he came down. He didn't ask. He walked in the door. He said, grab your stuff and let's go. And when we left, he quit. I think back. Yeah, I think this is back in the late eighties, right at nineties, right? Yeah, late. Yeah, late eighties. He was making back at that time. He was making over sixty something thousand dollars a year, which was really good money back then. He quit that job to go work a minimum wage job, just so he could raise me. Yeah. So wow. He, he, he gave he gave up every, he gave up everything and. As, as time went, went on and, you know, things started coming together, I started asking questions and, you know, the truth came out that he was my daddy, you know, and, uh, I, that was, uh, he's one of the greatest men I've ever known. Yeah. I just lost him this past June, but, uh, my dad saved my life. I, I've always told everybody he was my hero and because he was. Man, 
without him, I'd have been dead. Yeah. Yeah. Or abused or, you know, I would have been doing drugs a lot earlier, I'm sure. You know, because that, my mother's side of the family, again, it's hard for me not to love them because I grew up around them, but they're all a bunch of drug heads, a bunch of drunks. You know, all they want to do is fight all the time in and out of jail. The, the last name Justice in Spartanburg, South Carolina, at one time, if you got pulled over by a cop and you said your name was Justice, they automatically pulled you out and detained you. You know, and so when I lived up here, and I, I took the last name Justice in honor of my mother. You know, because I and I, I guess if I'm honest, I, I, I began to hate my stepfather. I didn't want his last name. And when I had moved in with my uncle that I worked with, he had my name changed to Justice. And it's funny because like they're like, "How do you and your mom have the same maiden name?" <laughs> well, <laughs> so I. Really, I don't know what my birth real name, last name should be. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, that's cool that you explained that because obviously, and we'll get into your story, but you were a wrestler at one time. And so in my mind, I always thought Jason justice was like your, your gimmick name, your wrestling name. And so to, to, to hear that, no, that's like your mother's maiden name. That's amazing, man. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's funny because when I was wrestling, man, I went by the, a, a name called Scotty Wren, the ticking time bomb, right? Every promoter that I ever ran into, I remember I did a, I did a show for TNA and Bill Bar- Bill Barons was, uh, was introducing me to Jeff Jarrett and his daddy, Jerry. And when they told him my real name, they both looked at me and they was like, are you an idiot? <laughs> they said, dude, you were born with, you were born with a, a gimmick name. And he said, you need to stick to that. He said, because nobody can take that from you. And, you know, at the time I was still, you know, green and didn't really know what was going on. And, and it made more sense. But right towards the end of my wrestling career, I actually dropped the Scotty Wren and went by Jason Justice. Good move. Pretty- yeah. Man, that's amazing. Going back uh, to a couple of pieces of your story earlier here. Uh, Jason, before we go on, I'm I'm really curious. Did you ever have any contact with your stepdad or stepmom after they, they booted you out? And did you ever um, get any explanation or, or find out why they kind of targeted you? Why why you? Why why the abuse? I I, I don't know. Okay, I'll, I'll start with this. I, I never got an answer for the, you know why they targeted me. I mean. And showed, they showed my sister favoritism. I mean, she was like God's angel, and I was just the devil. And as far as contact with them after all that went down, I remember I think I was probably about 17 or 18 years old. And they used to sell merchandise at a, at a flea market. And I made it a point to go to this flea market because now I'm grown. <laughs> you know, and, and in my mind back then, I'm grown. Why don't you put your hands on me now? You know, I mean, I can, I can take care of me now, you know. Yep. That was kind of my whole sole purpose of going there was to to give them that opportunity. And uh, I remember walking walking up, and he didn't even recognize me. And uh, I, I started picking up stuff kind of like I was looking at his merchandise, you know. And, and I looked up at him and – uh he, he kept looking at me and he'd turn away. He'd look at me, he'd turn away. And uh, his name was Lee. I said, Lee, 
He looked at me and goes, do I know you? I said, I would hope so. You raised me the first couple of years of my life. He goes, Jason? I said, yeah. I said, I just wanted to shake you. And it's funny because I went there with intention on probably punching him in the face. Sure. But I guess God knew what he was doing even then in my roughest day. Because I looked at him and it's like when I seen him and the look on his face, I wasn't mad no more. You know, I said, I just wanted to come by and let you know that I turned out per- okay. You know, and uh, I turned around and 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 the the woman that abused me was selling flowers in the in the place next door. And I walked by her. And I walked by her and I said, "Hey, ma'am, hope you have a wonderful day." And I just kept walking. Well, then I I turned and saw them talking, so I knew they were talking about me. Yeah, but it's it's just amazing how. Even then, God didn't allow me to step stupid, you know? Right. And uh, But later on in life, probably several years later, I got wind that he was up, in, up around my hometown looking for me. That he was wanting to apologize and, you know, make things, make things right. But uh, I, never, I, I was never in contact with him anymore, and, and he ended up passing away. So, you know... I, I I don't know if he was just trying to make men's before, you know, he went on. But, yeah. You know, either way, I mean, all is well, because even now, man, I mean, I am who I am in Christ now because of everything I've been through. And the one, if I've not learned nothing over the past couple of years, my story matters. Mm-hmm. My my story is, 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 uh, you know, giving people hope through Jesus, man, because I, man, <laughs> I'm not supposed to be here, Terry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you are, man. The The other question that I had before we pick up uh, where we left off, your relationship with your sister, what did that look like once you uh, were kicked out of the house? It didn't exist. I didn't see my sister for several years. It was on up to after I was driving a car. So I was at least 15, 16 years old. And we, I'd went down and, and met, met up with her a couple of times, you know, drove her and her, some of her friends around just, it was, it was just, it was weird because it was like, we still knew each other, but we didn't know each other. And after that, it, it was just kind of a, a big, long, several years sabbatical and I had got, she was in a motorcycle accident and I remember going, you know, I, I got somebody called me and told me about it. So I, I rushed down to make sure she, cause at one point they didn't think she was going to make it or not. And, um, but she ended up pulling through and, and, uh, she's doing really well for herself now, but, but we didn't see each other for several, several years. And I guess around 2010, we reconnected on Facebook and we would, we just started conversating back and forth, back and forth. And I've, I, I visited with her. It's been, it's probably been a couple of years now, but we talk a lot on Facebook and, and I, and I, and I'll go down every, every so often and just, you know, stop in, but it's not really a relationship there. I mean, it, it's an acknowledgement type relationship, you know, yeah. it's like, it's like, uh, I got to love her. She's my sister, <laughs> you know, but, but the truth of the matter that is, man, and, and then here's another, uh, let you know how crazy my life is. My sister was actually my cousin. 
my mother's sister was a junkie too. And when she had my sister, my mom adopted her. Oh, wow. Yeah. So as far as actually blood relatives, I'm a single child. But I was, you know, I, I was born and raised with her being my sister. Yep. And even though, even though blood wise, she was only my cousin. Man. So what there's a- another was the fake for my chaotic life <laughs> yeah man what a crazy life so then going back to when your dad told you hey I, i'm not your uncle i'm your dad man what was that moment like for you I, again losing your mom you know thinking your stepdad was your dad and and all the abuse that you endured and all, all these homes that you lived in and now you finally got stability but not just stability stability with your dad what was that like for you it's funny you ask that, man, because immediately, I mean, I remember that I, to this day, I remember the moment after he said what he said, it was, it was not even a word said. I just embraced, I just, you know, I hugged him and, and just squeezed him. And he just sat there and held me. And whew. that's beautiful, man. Sounds like that's yeah. what you were. That's what you were wanting your whole life is, man. All can't someone just love me? Yeah, it's all I want. Pull up some old scars, brother. <laughs> <laughs> some old yeah. wounds there. But uh, yeah. I mean, it was man. My, my dad was so awesome, man. He, I, I, when I think of him, I think of all the random stuff that he and I had done. You know. <laughs> We would go, <laughs> we would, he had a, a like a, you know, just a, a, a van, like a work van, right? <laughs> and we would go and sleep in the work van. But, and it sounds crazy to say it out loud, but those are the moments I remember because my dad never slept with a shirt on, even outside in the freezing cold. And I remember laying in that van and my head, being underneath his, right near his armpit, you know, just snowed up and how warm it was and just how much love I felt, man. It was just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I tell people all the time, I, I've lived with the richest of the richest and I've lived with the poorest of the poor and I got way much more love living in, living with the poor, you know, because it, it was more about relationships with, with them, you know, but it man, it, it was it was almost like a like a surprise Christmas party when I found out he was my dad. Yeah, because he was always so cool with me, man, and he always he treated me like his son, even though I, I didn't think he you know I didn't know it. But it, it was really awesome, man. It, it was probably one of the best days of my life because everything after that, man, it was just it's just better. I mean, you know, I, I still had you know some some days. But it, for the most part, it was just better. Yeah. Well, man, what a what a beautiful moment. And and I just think of the goodness of God with that, right? You know, just knowing that you needed your father in your life. And here he comes, you know, like you said, just kind of waltzing in the door, taking you, no questions asked, we're going. And to see the restoration in that relationship is is just the goodness of God right there. So you're with your dad. What what's kind of the next step of of your uh, journey here? What's the next chapter of your story here, Jason? Well, you know, I started playing football, started playing sports in school, and uh, in the midst of that, I got to hang out with some wrong kids and um, used to have a lot of weekend parties. You know, a lot of sneak underage drinking, 
lot of, you know, I would start drinking and we started smoking pot and then I would get caught, you know, I would get caught and get punishment on the football team and which made me want to do it more. And, uh, my senior year of, of high school, I, I had opportunities to play college football, <laughs> but I'd met, I met, I got into a guy that did cocaine and decided I wanted to try that. <laughs> and I got more invested in a party life and a drug life than I wasted my college opportunities. Yeah. But yeah, I ended up uh, wasting college opportunities to go play sports and get a free education. You know, said, hey, I'd rather be a drug addict right now. But uh, so, yeah, I guess, you know, high school, I had a good, I had a good childhood uh, from teenagers. I was the problem then. You know, I mean, it, I, my dad, well, I say that my dad was an enabler for me. You know, I, it, even to the day he died, I mean, uh, it's sad, but I, I look back, you know, and I think when I lost my dad, it was because he's always been my safety net. No matter what, I mean, it, it don't matter if I was doing the right thing, the wrong thing, he would always be there and he would always catch me. And if it was the wrong thing, we'd talk about it at home. But for the most part, my, my high school years were, were, were good. I had a lot of freedom, which turned out to be a bad thing because I'd done what I wanted to do which was stupid stuff. And I think everything started stacking up on me in high school because I knew that I was approaching graduation. And I, you know, a lot, I started looking back, I'd lost my mom. I, you know, I've lost my sister, I've, you know, pretty much cause I'm sweating in my life. And I see all these families around me and it, it just, it would crush me, man. I mean, I never would really talk about it, but it was, I was very envious, very jealous, very, you know, I, I wanted that, you know, I, I saw ever wanted was, you said it while I go, I just wanted to be loved. I mean, yeah, I got that from my dad, but at this moment, I, you know, and now I don't have a mom, you know, and, and all that's kind of starting to, it's weird as, I, as it sounds, it didn't really start settling in until I was in high school. It was kind of a blur from, you know, 10 to 15, 10 to 13 ish. And I guess because I was being kicked around so much and, you know, going through things. But I think the heaviness of it set in when I was in high school and I got to where I was, I was drinking a lot and, you know, popping pills. And then by my senior year, I was doing cocaine, losing scholarships. So that's kind of where that went. <laughs> and, I, and I had to go straight to work after high school. Yeah, man. What do you think it was about joining that group of people getting into drugs drinking do you think it was you know just wanting to kind of fill that void of not having your mom there what was it about that stuff that was so appealing at that time i think it was just acceptance i think acceptance is the one word that sum it up because you know I, when i played football i was a very very aggressive football player and i would try to hurt people and looking back, I know that it come from a lot of anger, and I was glad I was able to display it without getting in trouble. And when I was when I would hurt people, it, people would talk about it. So it became a mission for me when I played sports. Let's make people talk. And so I think with that, and just kind of wanting to numb myself, 
you know, when I would go to those feelings or go to that spot in my life, I would just want to numb it. And I think between if I couldn't hit you with a helmet on, I wanted to, you know, pour it over, it, you know, or something. But I think at the end of the day, I just wanted to be the cool kid. I wanted the chicks to like me. I wanted my friends, I wanted the dudes to, you know, want to like me and hang out with me. And, you know, I was the guy that when people would go get in fights and they were scared, they'd always come get me. You know, hey, we're going to get you. And that made me feel powerful. You know what I mean? And I mean, it's funny because I can use those words now because I didn't know them then. But looking back, it just, it was, a, I guess, you know, acceptance and power. And at the end of the day, I mean, uh, you know, I, I wanted you to know I'm bigger than you and I'll wear your head out because it made me feel something. And I look back now and that was some of the dumbest moments of my life, you know. But I think power and acceptance, man. Yeah. I think. I think that was, that's the end all. And that, that makes sense. You know, just how you broke it down there, that makes sense why you gravitated towards those people and why drugs and alcohol were so appealing. And so you mentioned you had the opportunity to, to go get a free education to play ball, squandered that away, doing drugs. You had to go straight to work. So after high school, you go into the workforce, did the drug use continue as well? Yeah, because, uh, the first job that I had, the first job that I legally had after high school, one of my, the guys I got really close with was a drug dealer and he worked with me. And so I didn't know it when I first started going to work there, but we got to work. The longer we worked together, we started getting closer and closer. And here's the funny part. It's like he and I were working in a, in a warehouse. It was just he and I that day. I had a bad toothache. And I was complaining about it. And uh, he said, well, I got something that'll, that'll numb it up for you. And I was like, really? I said, what, what is it? He said, just dip your finger and just lick your finger, dip it in here and put it on your tooth. He said, it'll numb it up. Even as a teenager, a teenager I mean, I kind—I didn't even ask what it was. But I was like, oh, you know, at this point, it's going to make it feel better. So I did that. And it numbed my tooth. Not long after, I feel like I was sitting there, my eyes started juking and jiving, you know, I'm like, oh, God. I said, can I get some more of that for my tooth? You know? And uh, so that led to conversations and conversations. I ended up hanging out with him at his lake house, drinking. And then I noticed he'd be getting these little baggies and, you know, this and that. And that just, it piled from there. And he was the drug dealer. We hung out all the time. I didn't have to pay for drugs. You know, I mean, it was it was there. And again, I think, it, I, th I, I think acceptance is a big thing in my life. And I, and I'm just, even in this conversation, I'm realizing a lot of that because looking back at it, even then I just wanted to be accepted. I want to be the, that guy. Yeah. 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 It's just trying to fill a void, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of the, the classic storyline with drugs, right? You know, it, it, it is you know, an easy way to, to get, um, I'm going to call it a false sense of acceptance, right? Because it is so surfacey and, and shallow in that way. So you build this relationship with, with your coworker and, uh, the drug use, it sounds like just really kind of goes to a, another level here. So how did that end up, uh, affecting this next phase of your journey here, Jason? Well, it kind of played right into it in a sense, I guess, because it was in 19, about 1997, I was at work and one of the, one of the workers that it was a tent where you day help tent. We used to talk about wrestling all the time. Well, he comes in one day and he had a little business card 
He goes, Jason, look what I found. And I started, he says, right here in Greenville. And I looked at it and it said, WWC, do you want to be a star? And I thought, hmm. You know, I didn't even, I didn't know a lot about independent wrestling at that time. You know, I remember going to one years ago, but it, I, we, we joked about it and clowned it, you know, and, but I didn't know nothing about it. So I was like, I took it home. I threw it on the dresser. It was, it was several weeks later, man. I was just laying there. I was kind of bored. I started kind of cleaning up and I saw this card. So I picked it up and I called it and let, and where I lived at, it was literally only like seven or eight miles from my house where they were doing this pro wrestling tryouts. And I don't know. Do you know who Brody Chase is? Haven't heard that name. Nope. Old school, old school enhancement talent back in the day. And he's, I mean, he's dressed in the likes of Ric Flair and all these guys. He, he was kind of a, a George South type of uh, wrestler, you know, back in, in NWA days. And it was him and uh, a good uh, friend of mine that I'm still close with, uh, Mickey Campbell. He went by Extreme Dream, Mickey Free. And they would do tryouts. It's going to cost me. 300 bucks to try out. So I paid it. Went there. Man, they beat the fire out of me, bro. Like, I would throw up, pass out, get up and do it again. So I began my wrestling career there. And I trained, I trained, you know, I started doing local indies, local indies. And the longer that I, that I was in the business, I would start learning the backside of the business. In the backside of the business, there was a lot of drugs in the locker room. You know, there are a lot of women in the locker rooms, you know, and it just piled and piled and piled. <laughs> so I ended, up, I, was, I ended up married in 1998 to my first wife. That was about the same time I was started, I started wrestling. I started in 97 training, but actually getting in the rings and going locally, it was about 1998. And uh, I was married, and that was not good. <laughs> now, you know, the wrestling business for a married man is you got to – AJ Styles is probably the, the one person that I know personally that maintained it. Yeah, he and his, him and Wendy have been together for 20-plus years. Yeah. From the time he started to everything, he's a good Christian guy, most still humble, even with all his success. He's awesome, phenomenal person. No pun intended, <laughs> but uh, it's just one of the place for a marriage, man. I mean, it's not. If you plan on keeping a marriage, you better have some good a good God foundation, because outside of that, man, the I say even now, Matt, the enemy is all over that business. Yep, all over that business, and I I, I entertained him for a long time. Yeah, you know, even with my first wife, I was sneaking around with girls. Outside after shows, now I still had a wind band on, man. I remember girls coming up to me, to, you know, trying to hook up with me, and I'd be like, "I'm married." She's like, "Well, I didn't ask you to marry me." You know, just it just made it that accessible, you know. And when it become that accessible, it's just, I mean, it the sex become a drug too. Yep. You know, but I don't know yet. So anyway, that's where it compiled up, and I, I kept doing more and more drugs. Ended up divorced. From my first wife, I, I, <clears throat> her response to me was she was tired of raising two kids on her own because I had two daughters with her. And I was always going on weekends, working full-time jobs through the week. 
you're just trying to pay dues and, and make it, you know. And the, when I get close enough to make it, I was I was in talks with uh, Puerto Rico, and I was having conversations, and you know I was going over you know payment money, how's you know if I, they wanted me to come over there for six months, and if I was over there, they was going to pay me and this and that. <clears throat> when my first wife found that out, she made me choose between her between wrestling and her. I'd done what I thought was the commendable thing, and I tried to and I chose her. Only for three to four months later. She left anyway. <laughs> she stayed long enough to mess up everything I was working on. <laughs> but uh, so that's how I ended up in my first divorce. What was that like, Jason, before we move on? What was that like uh, becoming a father? You know, again, just you experiencing what you experienced throughout your childhood, um, especially those first nine, 10 years. Now having the opportunity to really, you know, shape you know, these, these young people's lives and, and give them what you never had. Did you, did you see the opportunity in that or with, with the drug use and, and, and the, the hunger to make it in the wrestling business? Did, did you maybe kind of lack in that area? Well, for starters, I I became a father July 20th, 2001 for the first time. And it was the most amazing thing ever. Like, I remember, you know, building the nursery and getting it all fixed up. And I would spend, I mean, before she was even born, I would go in there and just lay in the floor and just smell like baby powders and baby lotions, man. I wanted, you know, and I would just sit there and wonder what kind of dad am I going to be? I mean, I was excited, scared, you know, you know, but, you know, when she got here, it was just my whole life flipped. You know, I had, I had what I felt like was some sort of purpose. and. I, I tried to be a good father. I mean, let me say this. I never lacked in loving my children. A lot of times I would lack in showing my kids. And by, by show, when I was there, I showed them. But I was missing a lot. You know, I was going on the weekends and, you know, working all week. And, you know, when I, after work, I'd have to go to wrestling practice and, you know, and, and do that. And then on the weekends, I was going from Friday night till sometimes Sunday you know, so then it's back to work again. So I was never an absent father, but I wasn't full time. I wasn't fully engaged with my time. And I believe that was the beginning of pushing people away. But looking back, I wrestling became my God. Literally. I mean, like, I didn't care whose feelings I hurt. I was going to wrestle. I didn't care who liked it. I was going to wrestle. What what I don't care what family function we had to go to. I won't be there. I'm going to wrestle. And it eventually destroyed my marriage. But at the first daughter and then in 01, my second daughter came in 03. And at this time, I, I was in the process of taking time off of wrestling. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to make a better shot at this one. Well, then just life in general overwhelming two kids now only 23 months apart busy working I, I started drinking again i always went to something to make me feel or not feel so the drinking got really bad at this time to the point i would i would drink and pass out i wouldn't help my my ex-wife i wouldn't help her do nothing with i wouldn't help with the kids I wouldn't help her clean house i wouldn't help cook i, wouldn't, I was not a husband 
you know, I became an exhausted drunk. And for the, after that, I ended up back on the weed. It, it's, a, it's a cycle, man. You, again, you know this. Dr- drug addicts have cycles. They go through this big cycle where I want to get high all the time. Now I'm tired of getting high. I'm going to get drunk all the time. Now I'm going to get drunk all the time. Now I'm tired of doing it. I'm going to take pills all the time. And I'm going to smoke weed. And it's just, it becomes a circle for me. It, at least for me, it became a circle. I was always addicted to something, just depending on what time of year it was. You know? Yep. So I ended up pushing her out the door. I mean, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, my first divorce, I, I, I deserved that. You know, I mean, I, I was not a, a faithful husband. I was not a, a good husband. But even in the midst of all that, I did try to be a father. My kids were always a, a priority. I just had a crazy way of fixing mine, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, man, you you get divorced. And again, like you mentioned, that cycle of I, I got to I got to be using something to kind of deal with these feelings, whether it's alcohol or weed or drugs or pills. And so after that first divorce, did that, did that intensify or what did that do for you? Yeah, it definitely intensified. I, I went on a, a spree of bar hopping, you know, laying down with whoever laid down and it was just, well, for starters, when I went through that first divorce, at the beginning of that, she she wouldn't let me. She tried to keep my kids, and legally I couldn't do nothing at that moment. So it, it drove me to want to numb myself again. So then again, I became a dude. I was drinking every single night, every night, every every Tuesday. I was in different at a bar, and you know, happy hour, whatever. And every opportunity I got, I did it. <laughs> and again, I go. I was. I went back to the drinking cycle until I got tired of it, and then the wheel started spinning again. Between alcohol, pills, marijuana, and speed, those were the four choices for me. And that was my wheel. Literally, it was a wheel. It just depended on what I was dealing with at the time. It was definitely a big downfall for me. But again, I, I also believe that you got to hit bottom sometimes before you can realize things. And I encountered Jesus in the midst of some of this. When I say I encountered him, I tried to manipulate him. I tried to use him to get what I wanted. So it was kind of, I started going to church so that my ex-wife would see me at church. So somebody would see me and they would say, hey, look at Jason, he's doing good. You know, and the whole time I was, you know, God, please restore my marriage. Please fix this. Please fix that. And I was doing nothing for him. <laughs> I was, and he knows that, you know, I, I was just using him as a wish genie. You know, I'd rub him when I needed him and put him away on the shelf when I didn't. It was almost like a God, if you do this, I'll serve you. And he's like, no, you serve me. And I might do that. Yep. <laughs> serve me first. <laughs> I didn't know that then, though. Right. And so you mentioned, Jason, um, you know, kind of the the importance in a way of of going to your rock bottom. And so what was your rock bottom? What was the moment where you were just like, all right, this this it can't get any worse than this? Well, 
I had a couple of them. And that's, I, I tell people that first rock bottom was just halfway down. <laughs> I, I had just hit a, a side boulder, you know, because it wasn't until going on three, almost four years ago that I really hit bottom. So let me, okay, let me go from here. So I went from the divorce, not handling it, and I ended up meeting my son's mama. When I met her, the drug, the alcohol and everything slowed down. I actually, actually stopped. It became an occasional thing, right? But I fell in love with her, and she and I were together almost seven years. And I'd smoked weed through there, but that was about it. I had gotten more mature in my drug ag- activity, I guess, where I, I was a functional drug addict now. You know, I, I would still take pills. And I would still smoke weed, but I would get up and go to work. And uh, long story short, ended up in a, from, I had a, my son with her, and uh, we ended up divorced when he when he was it's funny because when my son was two, it's when we got divorced. That's when my mom and my dad got divorced too. Yeah. Is it my my son played an instrumental part in saving my life now? You know, and it's just when I see when I see these these things like with him being two, me being two, I see me growing up again. But I refuse to let him do what I did. He'll hate me first. I'm not. I, I won't sit back and. But you know, my son's a good. You met him. He's a good kid, man. Yeah. He's a, uh, I just see. I see so much of me in him, and sometimes it's a little intimidating. It's a little scary because I know who I was, but at the same time, I, at the same time, I know who I who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm not as much worried about. Yep. So you mentioned kind of having two rock bottoms there, Jason. The first one was, you know, kind of like a side boulder. What was that? The side boulder was the was the divorce. The the first divorce. And that was uh I remember standing in the courtroom with her on the day of the final divorce. And we was we ended up in the elevator together. And I remember looking at her, I said, you know, I said, we don't have to do this. I said, it's not final until we walk through that door. I said, why don't we leave? Let's fix it. Let's just, to heck with the lawyers, to heck with the judge. Let's just go. She said, no, this is what I need. Fair enough. I don't even remember the hearing. I just, I, 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 I zoned out. I just, you know, and, I, and it was, the bad part is, is I went in there with no lawyer. <laughs> she had a lawyer. I didn't. And I just went in there doing this. Shaking your head. She wants this. Okay. She you get visitation is like this. Okay. I didn't care. And it, it's 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 sad when I think about it now because I didn't care because I was so obsessed with wanting her. If it wasn't her, if I didn't have her, I didn't want nothing. And so that was the first bottom I hit. You know or the first boulder I hit. Then I fast forward to my second wife when I went through that divorce. That one hit hard. Because I worked really hard on my second marriage not to be that guy that I was in the first one. 
And but when we ended up splitting up, she ended up getting on drugs after we divorced. And I spent the first part of my separation trying to help her. She was with another guy, ended up, she got strung out on drugs. And at this moment, I didn't understand why, because this was not the woman that I met, right? And so I spent all this time, and I was still raising two my two girls, which I had custody of by this time, and my son. And I, I, everybody would always say, like, Jason, I don't know how you do it. It's like your super dad. And super dad puts a lot of weight on your shoulders. You know, it, it puts you on a pedestal way up here. So when you fall, <laughs> you got a lot further way to fall. And people look at it different. Because, I mean, picture your hero that you had when you was a kid. And you walk and you meet him in an alley somewhere. He's a smart aleck jerk and he smokes a cigarette. That's your Superman. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and it was kind of that. Because when, when the weight, when the super dad weight got heavy, it made me, I got in my mind and I started, you know, why don't you leave, you know, uh, uh, these kids, this, this family, why would she leave? And it made me want, you know, she got hooked on meth. And I'm like, what is so good about that drug that she would just leave this? I don't know. I don't get it. Well, I ended up finding out. And I was on pain pills really bad. I was trying to quit doing pain pills. But I don't know if you've ever done any drugs or not, but when you try to come off of pain pills, man, there's a withdrawal, like shakes, sweats, muscle spasms. It was just miserable, and I couldn't kick it. At this time, my, my, my cousin smoked meth. I didn't even know a lot about meth. And so I'm talking to him about wanting to get off the pills. He says, well, why don't you, he said, why don't you just smoke meth through the withdrawal se- se- you know, section of it? And then he said, because, you know, meth don't have no withdrawals. You just quit. And I was so stupid, gullible, and desperate. I was like, okay. Oh, he's right. Meth don't have any withdrawals. But here's the problem. When you start doing it, you stay up three, four, five, six days. And you crash. When you get up, you're so tired from crashing so long, you got to have a pick-me-up. You get back on a hamster wheel. And so that's where that, I started in that. Well, then I ended up moving into an apartment complex, met a guy there. It became real, uh, like a best friend to me. And lo and behold, he's a drug dealer, too. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, like, dude, the enemy always took me up. <laughs> you know, it was like, hey, if I'm going to get you. I know you ain't going to spend all this money on it, but I'm going to put it where you ain't got to. And he put it right in front of my face. I mean, and next thing I know, man, I, I've done, I, I was living in an apartment, man, and this, this it was an immaculate apartment. And within <laughs> three or four months, I'd done not, I didn't physically kick my, my girls out. But I didn't push them out. They didn't want to be there. My son was staying at his grandparents. 
I was strung out on meth. Then I done ended up trapping my whole apartment out. I had tons of people in here, you know, just selling drugs, doing drugs. And there I was. Then I got in with it, with this guy. Then I got involved with Mexican cartels. Oh man. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> so now Mexican cartel, there was this one night, my buddy calls me and he goes, I know for, for starters, I had been up for almost nine days. Wow. No sleep. I was seeing shadow people. And he calls me, he goes, Jason, he said, you still got that piece I gave you, which was a gun. And I said, yeah. He said, well, next time you come by, I'll bring it by. To me, at that moment in my life, that was code. <laughs> I took it as code, like, hey, man, I need you. So I roll up, walk in this house, <laughs> triggered back. My buddy's here. The head Mexican cartel guy sitting beside him. And that guy's muscle sitting over here on, on a stool. And I walked in and I was like, what's up? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and uh, cocked a pistol. And the Mexican, this muscle guy stood up and started speaking Spanish to me. So, I mean, like cussing me or going off on me in Spanish. And I walked dead up to his face and put a pistol to his head. I said, if you're going to speak to me, you're in America. You better speak English. And my buddies are here, Jason, stop. Jump. And he said, we're cool. He said, I was just going to sell him the gun. I was like, oh, my God, I misread that one. So the head cartel guy started laughing hilariously. He, he, he loved me. He loved that, that side of me. Yeah. He accepted me for who I was. There it is again. Yeah. So I started talking with him and, you know, I would start seeing him more. And then he started offering to pay me to drive him around. So now I start off driving him around. You know, he'd slip me 500 bucks, a bag full of drugs, whatever, just to drive. Wasn't doing nothing. Well, next thing you know, I'm uh, trafficking meth, two kilos of meth from Atlanta, Georgia to Greenville, South Carolina. You know, I don't know if you realize that's lifetime sentences right there. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, now he's paying me more money to do that. Now I'm driving down the road. And when I go on those trips, he wouldn't let me have my gun. But him and his muzzle had guns behind me. So it's like I was right. Almost. A, I wasn't at gunpoint, but it was kind of like, don't mess up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I remember running from the police, man. And, uh, just I went and then running from the cops and then it become, Hey, look, we got to go collect some money. So I was kicking doors in, you know, beating people up for that. I never met before. I mean, you know, dude, I, I still see these, some of these people in my mind, you know, even to this day, you know, just bust it all up, you know, and, and I, I was a bad person, man, you know, and I don't say that with no ego and no boastfulness. I was a bad, I became a bad person. And I was doing humiliating. I mean, just doing stuff that was just, I should be in prison. That's why, you know, I tell people I should be dead or in prison. You know, I remember being in a motel with going to collect money and it turned into a gunfight. I remember, you know, putting mattresses up against the windows, you know, wow. it was just, I, I'm telling you, man, I've never been to jail, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> that is a miracle, dude. Yes, it's, it's all God's favor, man. It's all God's hand on me. He knew what he's doing with me now. 
And he could he couldn't do what he's doing with me now if I was scathed. He had to put it, he had to put his hand in it so that you know protect what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, so I and I didn't I didn't know God was chilling me in the hood, <laughs> you know, but he was. Yeah. He wasn't okay with what I was doing, man, but he he knew one day. But yeah, it was it, it became that and I I I had to I was trying to get out. But I don't know if you know a lot of the rules of the Mexican cartel. I don't, but I'm guessing that uh, there's a lot of them and none of them are good. Yes. And a lot of times if you try to get out, they'll, they try to kill your family. And so I was kind of stuck. But here's the funny part. It was like I told you, I'd gotten close with the, with the muscle, with the head guy. And he used to ask me all the time. And here's the, the funny when I look back at it now. He would go, Jason, why are you doing this, man? He said, that's not you. It's not you. It's good you don't even know me. But, you know, it makes me think, and it makes me, even, you know, what if? What if that was God? Yeah. Working through this guy. What are you doing? What do you, I mean, this ain't you. But this head cartel guy was telling me this, right? And I ended up getting COVID, and I was in the hospital. And uh, when I got out of the hospital, I met up with him. I owed him like $4,500 that I owed him. He looked at me. He said, go home to your family. Take care of you. You have a clean slate with me, but don't ever show back up. Wow. I got blessed out of the Mexican cartel. And that like doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. And I and I, I owed him money. I owed him money. That for one, you don't owe these guys money. Don't owe them. But I, he blessed me out, owed him money. And he pretty much the reason he told me I don't I will not ever see you back again is because he didn't want me there. Yeah, because he knew it wasn't me. And, man, I, it's funny, man. I, I really do think that was God, man. God used a drug that a head cartel dude to speak to me. Yeah, that's just evidence that God uses everything, right, man? Like he can use anything to to reach the lost. Right. That's amazing though, man. And so you mentioned wanting to leave the cartel. You got blessed out. And when we were at the retreat, you 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 shared this experience that you had where and, and I'd like you to go into detail, but basically strung out on on drugs and then you know, this is almost kind of where you, you got saved. This is where you encountered Jesus again. So walk us through that, Jason. How, how long after getting blessed out of the cartel did, did this particular event happen? So after the cartel incident, I ended up losing everything. Like I had like $200,000 in the bank. Okay, within 12 months, I was evicted and, li- and I was living in my car. So I went from being... High dollar, Jason, to lit sleeping in, in, in my Nissan Armada. So everybody that did love me at that moment started taking their hands off of me. I didn't know where to go. So I went to my ex, first ex-wife's mama's house, which is where my daughter was staying at the time. She sat and had this long conversation with me, and she's wanting to help me. 
So we start looking up drug rehabs. I found this one place. It was a place called Evans Training Center. And these guys are, it was a double wide trailer. They had three, 13 beds. And it was a Christian faith, faith base. And um, I had emailed them. Everybody else wanted insurance. They wanted, it was on waiting list. It was just impossible to get in. But I was at a place, I didn't, honestly, I didn't have nowhere to go because nobody was letting me move in because of what I was doing. Nobody was letting me stay, nothing. But I, sp- I spent the night at my ex-mother-in-law's house this night and I emailed that, that Evans trainer group. Within 15 minutes, I had a f- my phone rung. It was that guy. He starts talking to me about Jesus on the phone. And I'm I'm just, yes, okay. You know, didn't care. Okay. And so he, he says, he said, all right. He said, we'll accept you, but you have to be here by 11 a.m. tomorrow. Nothing, no questions. I'm like, okay. So told my ex-mother-in-law. She drove me, she drove me down. We left the next morning. I stopped by my dad's house and uh, I left my car at my dad's house. All my stuff packed up in it and uh, told him where I was going. I left and uh, that morning they dropped me off and it was an in-house eight-month rehab. So I, I went there, got a lot of help. I got ended up getting sober, obviously. Cause I was in, I was there and uh, that, that, that was tough. That whole meth don't have side effects was a lie. It was a whole bold face lie. And uh, because I, it, it was rough, but I stayed there and I was only there for about three and a half months and I started getting itchy. So I dipped out and I didn't complete it. I thought I got enough foundational tools. I'm good. I'm sober. I'm good. I had cut off everybody in, the, in my drug world except one person, my best friend, the drug dealer. Mm. The only guy you need. <laughs> yep. So when I come home, it's funny because all my ex-in-laws seem to love me. <laughs> my second wife, I moved in. I, I started staying with her parents, you know, for a little while. And I started hanging out with my buddy. So then I started drinking. And my ex-mother-in-law, she's mentioned something about me drinking. She goes, this, you drink an awful lot. I'm like, well, you just never saw me drink a lot. If I drank six beers, it's a lot. So, but in my, in my soul, I'm thinking, oh man, they noticed, they found out. So then I started smoking weed again. Then I started hanging out with my buddy again. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do the myth. He'd make everybody put it up when I got there. And when I'd get there, Everybody else is spun out, and I'm looking around like this ain't even fun right now. I was like, "Well, I'll just do it this weekend. I'll do it this weekend." Next thing I was in full blown relapse. Boom, that fast. One person. Boom. And um, I remember it was on my it was the weekend of my birthday. Me, that guy, and a and a whole bunch of other people. We had a, a what they call a motel block party. Couple bedrooms, joining rooms, just drugs tattoos i mean it's just a huge party and i i remember I, I remember thinking to myself i didn't smoke so much meth again I, I can't even get high so i started snorting heroin 
Now I'm storing heroin. Something I said I would never do. And I remember, you know, if you get a double bedded room, how you got the little nightstand in the middle. I was on the door, uh, close to the door, that bed near the nightstand. And I remember I I woke up and I was looking around the room and I saw everybody just kind of passed out, drooling. It was just nasty, man. And I remember making eye contact with myself in the mirror. And I said, so this is what you're doing now. This is what you're going to do. This is your life. You're, you're, you know, you, your kids told you if, they, if you ever do anything else, they'll, you know, cut you off. And this is where you're at. And I knew then that was the beginning of the conversation with Jesus. And so he planted that in me, right? And so when my, my friend that I was with woke up, he and my best friend drug buddy had a fallen out. Long story short, all this commotion ended up. I ended up getting into physical altercations with half the room. And what I didn't realize then was that was God cutting everybody off. That was my last one. So I left. I went home to my apartment. And I remember going in there and I was angry. I was upset. I was crying. I remember, you know, laying into my bed, screaming out to God. If you want me to stop doing drugs, you got to do something. I can't do this by myself. I said, you, I said, me without you doing something, I'm a junkie. I can't stop. I've tried to stop. I can't stop and I won't stop. So if you want me, fix me. I mean, it's almost like I gave him an ultimatum. Yeah. You know, as, in, as intense as that sounds, man, because Lord knows I, now I would not tempt God. <laughs> but, you know, it was just, I, I was just at my end of my rope. And I remember laying there. And I was tossing, I was turning. I didn't, you know, I've been doing, on drugs for the past three or four days. And uh, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to get up. I'm going to smoke. I had a, on my dresser, I had like a box that I kept all the tools and the drugs in. I said, I rose up in the bed and I said, I'm going to smoke some weed so I can go to sleep. But Terry, when I rose up in the bed, I felt the physical hand of God on my shoulder. And he said, lay down. I'm not done. I literally, people think I exaggerate the story, bro. But when I tell you, I felt the hand of God on my shoulder. And whether I heard an audible voice or it spoke to my spirit or however it said, I heard the words, I'm not done with you yet. So I laid down and I started, I just cried myself to sleep. I woke up the next morning. And I'm looking around the room and I'm like, I don't feel no different. <laughs> you know, nothing's changed. So now I'm ticked off at God. You said you wasn't done, but you, you ain't did nothing. You know, that's my thought process. All I remember is my feet hit the floor when I was getting ready to get up. Because I, I was like, now I'm going to go smoke meth, just get back on the wagon and just screw it, you know. And uh, I remember my feet touching the floor. The next time I could realize what I was doing, I was I was standing over a toilet that was already flushed where I had dumped the whole bag of drugs in. Almost three or four hundred dollars worth of drugs. Flushed. I had no idea that I'd done that. I turned and I saw myself in the mirror and I spoke out loud. I used to talk to myself a lot. I said, What did you just do? 
And I felt the spirit of God come over me. He said, you're five days clean right now. If you start over, you'll, you'll have to go back. You'll have to start over. And it hit me, five days? I just fell asleep last night. Bro, it's like I didn't exist for five days. Long enough to get the withdrawals out. Wow. For days. I didn't have a missed text. I didn't have a missed call. Nothing. It's like Jason Justice did not exist for five days. And I was like, I sit there just like you just said. I was just like, wow. And he said, just be patient one day at a time. And that was almost four years ago. And I tell people, I'm not clean. I'm cleansed. There's a difference. I was delivered from drugs that day. Delivered. I have not had a taste for a drug since. Praise God. He took it out. Like, I don't know how he, I don't know how that happens because I know who I was. Jason, just Jason can tell you, Terry, I love to get high. I love it. I thought I did. But I don't have that desire. That desire is nowhere near me. I have been around people smoking weed and walked away. You know, and and I mean, it's fun. I'm referred to as the preacher guy now. You know, it's it's just it's funny how the situation of life changes, you know. But yeah, God took it away and I've gave him praise ever since, man. I, I gave my life to Christ that in that moment. I was like, okay. I tapped out, bro. All right, all right, man. It's so real to me now, just talking about it, because I remember that weight. Bro, that weight come off. I was free. I was loved. And I was accepted. There it is again. Yep. Come on. Nobody. There's a song I know. It's just spotting my head. Nobody do me like Jesus. <laughs> Can't nobody do me like Jesus, man. But so I accepted Christ, man. And you know, I'm brand new then, so I went in church, and my son's mama, it was, you know, probably a week or so later, my son's mama, she calls me, and she said, Jason, she said, I want to ask you a question, so I want to ask you a favor. She said, you're probably not going to want to do it, but I got to ask you just because Mason wants me to ask you, and Mason's my son. He, uh, he said, uh, she said, Mason wants to know if you'll come to church with us tomorrow. And I said, yeah, tell him I'll be there. And I went to church, and I've not missed a Sunday since unless I was ministering somewhere. But I, the church I'd started at, it was one of these churches that uh, have a lot of the music, loud music, so, you know, that type of thing. I'm not a Bible scholar, Terry. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's hard for me to to sit here and, and quote scriptures to you, but I can, in the, in the right moments, the scriptures come. It's crazy. And, uh, but I remember starting this church and I would, the only way I would really connect with God 
is was through worship. And as long as music was playing, I could get in my spirit, what I felt was my spirit at the time, and connect. But when that stopped, I didn't know how to connect. You know, it was like, so now I'm realizing, is, is this me and God, or is it me and, me and emotions, or me, me and feelings, you know? So I started, a guy I went to high school with, he's a, he's a preacher, you know, on another side of the town. And uh, he had a school, was called RLA, which is Rejuvenate Leadership Association. It's basically, it's a Christian leadership program that uh, you learn uh, king, kingdom principles. You know, I'll, I never even knew, knew the word kingdom. I just thought it was just God, let's get saved and go home. You know, I didn't know all this kingdom talk. And so I got kind of interested in this, and I'm like, I, I need to learn. So I signed up this class for, for this two-year course. And the more I got into that class, I started feeling God pull me to that church. And it was like he was telling me, I've got to line your ministry up with your what you're doing. God called me to prison ministry, which I've yet to do, but that's what I'm called to. And in order to get in prisons, you got to have certain certifications and this type of thing. So by the I graduate actually graduate this December. So when I get done, I'll have my certificate in ministry and whatever else I need to get into the prisons, right? And I've learned so much this, through this past two years, man. But so I, I moved, I ended up shifting churches. And it was hard for me because I had started going to church regularly with my son, his mama, and her husband and his stepbrother. And because uh, we're all like really close now. I mean, we're like best friends. So I'm, I'm, Praise God. I'm at, I'm at my ex-in-law's house with my ex-wife and her husband outside right now at this moment. That's amazing. <laughs> but, yeah. So. And that, and plus, she started going to school this year too. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm taking. Yeah, but it's it's, it's just how God works, man. Yeah. But, but I got pulled to that church, and when I first started going to this church, Terry, the music was not what it was where I, where I came from. I mean, you had like a TV band over here, and when I, in the church when I come over here, it was just like a lot different, you know. It wasn't that style of music. It was just, and when I first got there, I was regretting it because my only connection was through music. But between my class and and staying, God started revealing things to me. He was shifting me at that moment because the music worship was just my foundation of getting me in the house. He got me in the house. Now he's going to teach me how to serve him without a feeling. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. So I started shift, and in between learning, you know, all this kingdom stuff in my classes, and 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 attending this church, and 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 it's just different, you know. And you know, they they speak in tongues and things and stuff that I wasn't really familiar with, and this and that, and but I've learned so much about it. <laughs> and uh, so then I gravitated to this church, and now. At the time, my son, but they were still going to the other church. They was doing a Christmas play, so I went to watch him do the thing at the church. And Terry, I didn't realize how much I had changed until I got there. When I got there, as the music was playing, I got in, you know, my worship, and I look around, <laughs> and there's a couple of kids next to me, and bro, they're looking at me like, 
what is wrong with this guy? You know, my worship had grown. You know, I, I you know, I, I was actively worshiping. You know, a lot of these people there, man, they just raised their hands and it's almost like I scared this kid, right? <laughs> but I knew then, I realized then, because I felt out of place there. It was like, it was like I was in a foreign country. And that was what I used to call home. And that's how God used that to show me my growth. Not saying nothing bad about that church, just me as a person and what I was going through, you know? And it was amazing. So when I went back to my church, I had a deeper appreciation. I had a deeper desire, a deeper thirst. And before I knew it, my son's mama and her husband, they all started seeing the changes that was in my life. They decided they wanted to shift. <laughs> so now they shifted, right? So now we're all, we all go to church together every Sunday, every, you know, every chance we get. And I'm very, I'm active in my church. I, I serve, you know, I, I do. It's just amazing, man. Cause now the growth has really started. And sometimes I find myself getting hot, hard on myself and God starts, Hey, he shows me, you know, look, dude, you're growing. <laughs> you're still a baby. You know I mean? In, in, in God's eyes, I, I'm only almost four years old. So I'm still learning. I'm still learning life. I'm still learning kingdom. I'm still learning how to walk. I'm still learning how to talk, you know, how to change, how to, you know, change my mindset, you know, instead of looking at everything in a negative mindset, trying to think of the positive that comes out of it. You know, what can I learn through this? God teach me about me. What, what do you want to show me through this? You know, and I'm, I'm sure I've squirreled way off of what you even asked me, but you're a good man. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, it's been, a, it's been an amazing ride, man. And, and it's, I'm not even, I ain't even peaked, you know, and it's not about me, man. It's not about me. And that's where I, I'm in a spot now where God is showing me. It's about me and the kingdom, Jason. You're, I, when I use this, I don't mean it's literally. I'm nothing. I'm something because he chose me and he made me. But, man, our lives are built for the kingdom. And the, one, the best thing I've ever learned is when God made us and he formed us, you realize he formed us perfect. We, I mean, we're formed perfect, but because of the sin of the world, it's tainted. So if we would learn to live from the inside out versus outside in, everything that God made us capable to do is built inside us already. All we got to do is water it, draw it out, draw it out. You, man, I don't think people realize, and I'm one of the main ones, you don't realize what you have inside you. You don't know your capabilities. If God gives you a thought, he will give you the capability to do it. I mean, it's just, it, there's some, and I'm learning that I, I've tapped into some things inside me, you know, and, and it's stuff that I never thought I, I would do or say, or, but I know that there's so much more and it just makes me hungry. You know, it makes me thirsty. Like I must, I want, you know, what else can I do? What else can you do through me? You know, when I, and we went to that youth retreat, man. <laughs> I learned that day. Do you remember the little girl? I think her, her name was Breland. Yep. 
that girl touched my soul. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, man, she made me realize that my story matters. My story matters, you know, because sometimes, you know, Terry, I'll be honest, it's almost like a, it gets repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. And, and I'll, I don't get tired of sharing it because I love sharing what God's done. But it's like, I want to be more than that. I, I want to be more than just my, my testimony. I want to be, you know, when I say I, I want God to use me. I, I'm, I'm trying to kick my, my eye habit, you know, because it's not about me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want people to say, oh, he can preach great. He can talk this. He can do this great. If it becomes that, it becomes about performance. I don't want to be that. Yep. I don't want to be that. I want my life to show without anything. You know, and I don't know, man, I, I was listening to my preacher was talking the other day and he got to talking about Jesus, you know, and a lot of the American church today, it becomes a performance for everybody, for a lot of people. And he, start, he started giving instances of Jesus, you know, he said, do you think, I don't remember reading nowhere in the book where it said Jesus was hooping at a high sign and, and hollering and Jesus, Jesus, you want to be healed? Be healed. You know, it's just kind of, it's just kind of chill, you know. Okay, be here, boom. You know, it, 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 I understand we all get excited sometimes, but that after, at a certain point, that becomes about you and your performance. You know, I don't know. It's just, it's amazing because I, I can see when God starts to shift in my life, and I've never been able to see that. It's like, it's almost like, I, like the knob changes. It's just, boom. When he works on pride, poof. He wants to work on anger. Poof. He wants to work on, you know. And I'm I'm in the midst of a shift right now, so that's probably why I'm all tongue-tied. Because he's literally switching my my brain. My he's in a mindset for me now. Now I'm working, he's working on my mindset. He's working on the way I see things. You know, I, I've been praying, you know, God, give me your eyes. You know, I want to I want to see people like you see people. You know, I've always been kind of short i won't say short tempered i don't like the a lot of stupidity irritates me I, mean, I don't know just you know the lack of common sense irritates me and i'm trying because even even those people that i mean they need jesus too and he loves them and i'm trying to learn to be more empathetic I, is that the word i'm looking for empathetic yep so i want to be more empathetic so that i I know what to, you know, I can be empathetic with a drug addict because I know, I know what it feels like. I know, I know how it feels like to want to be sober and can't, (laughs) you want to be sober so bad, but you just can't quit. I've been there, but I'm here to tell you, if anybody gets anything from this, I was strung out running with gangs, doing stupid stuff at the very, I was shaking hands with the devil when Jesus found me. He wasn't never lost. It was me. <laughs> you know, he, he was always right on time. Yeah. I, I just really, so I want somebody to have hope, man. You know, I'm I'm 300 pounds, bald, tattooed. I look like hell, but I love like Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that, man. Jason, I your story is is absolutely incredible. And like you said, like this needs to be made into a movie because it, 
again, I don't even have words. Like you got me kind of tongue tied. Like this has been so amazing. Just getting this opportunity to sit down with you and, and hear, you know, kind of the fullness of your story here and man, what Jesus has done in your life. Yeah. It, I owe everything to him, man. I mean, I couldn't be, I, I have never been more grateful in my, you know, I, I hear people all the time and I thank God for a second chance. I said, you only at number two. Oh, way I passed two a long time ago. <laughs> I thank God for another chance every day. You know, when, when I wake up every morning, man, that's, I try to let that be the first thing I say. I, you know, I tell God, I, you know, God, thank you. Thank you for another chance to try to get this right. Thank you for another day, another opportunity. You know, send somebody, send somebody my way. Yeah. You know, let, let, me, let, me, let me tell them, you know. Yeah. And, and Jason, I just, I just, I, I see it and I hear it, just that fire within you. Like you're burning for Jesus now. Like you said, your hunger, your, your thirst is for him now. And, and man, he's just getting started with you. It, it seems like you're in a season now of preparation and being equipped with these tools to go into these prisons. And, uh, that's going to, uh, come to a culmination in December, which can, you know, congratulations yeah. early, but that's a huge deal, man. I'm excited. Dude, when you step foot into those prisons, man, the atmosphere is going to shift, not because of you, but because of the Holy Spirit in you. You're coming with power. You're coming with authority. And God is going to use you in ways beyond your imagination. Um, I, I Even as we're talking, I just see prisons breaking out in worship and, 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 and just dance and sing because of you and what you're bringing to them. You're bringing life. You're bringing the Savior to them. And so... Dude, I'm I'm excited for for what God has in store for you. As as you go into that journey, Jason, how can people follow along with that? Where can they find you on social media? Well, I mean, right, right now it, it's it's funny. You know, I, I get to ask that question a lot. I guess maybe I need to try to do something, but um, I guess I've been so focused on just trying to get to the journey. I guess that I've I've I, I got Facebook and Instagram. I mean, you know, it's, it's Jason Justice. I'm terrible with plugs, man. I, I, I you know, it's <laughs> part of my growth too. I got to learn to promote not necessarily myself, but God threw me on, on a platform, but it, well, I'll I'm, link, I'll link your social media handles in the show notes yeah. and in the comments so people can find it there too. I do. Look, I want to tell you something funny. I had, a, when I got first got called to prison ministry, right. I, it, it happened to me in a dream and like literally I, I, I had like a three second dream. It was pitch black bright white words, prison ministry, you know, and, and I just felt the calling on my life. And so I started questioning God. Are you sure? I've never been to jail. I've never, I, I don't ever been to prison. You know what he says to me? He said to me, you never been to prison because I had my hand on you and you didn't get caught. He said, you look the part, you talk the part, they can relate with you. I look like an inmate. A lot of people think I've done time. Because it's just the perception I give off. But I've never done the jail cell. And that's the irony of this. You know, he's putting me somewhere uncomfortable. <laughs> Very uncomfortable. But you know what happens with that? The more uncomfortable we are, the more glory he gets. Because then about me then. I Amen. Mean, He's going to put me in the midst of, and I'm going to sit there with my mouth tongue tied, and all of a sudden, spirit's going to kick in, and it's going to be over with. 
So I love it, man. I, I, I accept it. I, I take it on. Yeah. Yeah. Jason, again, this has been incredible. I'm so thankful that, uh, man, just doing the interview with Chad and then doing the remnant youth retreat has led to this connection and, Man, you, you got a brother in Christ and me that's going to be championing you and, and supporting you along in, in this uh, ministry you're going to be starting up soon. And thank you so much, man, for being gracious with your time and just being real and raw and vulnerable. I know your story is going to touch so many people's lives and it's going to encourage them, inspire them that, man, if, if you've been able to get through what you've been through and, and here you are, you know, restored and redeemed and, and living for Jesus there isn't an excuse for anyone else. There's, there's really not. And so I'm just uh man, just so thankful for this. Thank you. I want to leave you with three R's, three R's rescued, restored, redeemed. There's been a lot of testimonies I've done that I feel would make for great movies. And this is definitely another one. My goodness, it's just crazy to think of the grace of God over Jason's life. I mean, to be blessed out of the Mexican cartel by the head honcho and to have done everything he's done and never spend a single second in jail. Come on, that can only be God. And I love the mentality that Jason has and making sure that his life always stays about God. Now what Jason has done but what God has done through Jason. And I have no doubt that God is going to continue to use Jason in mighty ways as he sets out to start his prison ministry in the months to come. If you have any questions for Jason about his testimony, send me a DM on social media or use the hashtag AskTWT and we'll get him to answer a few. That's it for this week's episode, but I'll be back next week with another story of God's goodness. So in the meantime, make sure you're living life in such a way that glorifies God and kicks Satan's butt. Peace.